Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 229 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. So good morning, Matt. Nice to have you back on the show this morning. Nice to be back. I had so much content to sift through. I had to be very selective in what I picked this week. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of good stuff, obviously, with uh, 2023 here coming to a close uh, very shortly and going into, um, you know, 2024 with uh, the presidential election year. Um, a lot of people thinking 23 was going to be the bad year. The recession year uh, turned out that that wasn't the case. Now those forecasts are getting pushed out to 2024. So uh, I'm sure I mean, we'll if they keep pushing it out long enough, eventually they'll be right. Yeah eventually, we'll have a yeah, eventually it'll happen. Yeah, a, a broken clock's wrong, what, twice a day? Twice a day. So, um, yeah, so we'll get into some of this stuff and over the next couple of weeks as well. I'm looking uh, forward to the podcast today. I think it's going to be a good one. So, as always, we will review the month-to-date and year-to-date performance of the major market indices that we track. Uh, this data is from YCharts and as of the market close on December 6th. S&P 500 index is down almost a half a percent for the month of December and up 18 and a half percent on the year. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 0.3 percent for the month and up 8.8 percent for the year. The Nasdaq Composite Index down 0.6 percent for the month, but up 35 percent for the year. The Russell 2000 Small Cap Index is up 2.4 percent for the month and up 5.6 percent for the year. And the Vanguard All World X United States ETF down 0.2% for the month and up 8.1% for the year. Three month Treasury rate at 5.45%, the two year Treasury rate at 4.6%, and the 10 year Treasury rate at 4.12%. So, really, since the market bottomed in uh, late October, early November, Matt, we've seen rates come in significantly. So, the 10 year Treasury rate was hovering around 5% yeah. um, just a little over a month ago, and we've seen yields fall uh, pretty dramatically over the, the last month or so. Yeah, and I'm just going to directly say it, a drop in the 10-year that quick in that short period of time, that's not normal. That's not normal. And I think it's just telling you that, you know, the the market just this year has just been so pessimistic on so many different topics, you know, and it's correcting and, and trying to follow the data. And as this inflation data comes in, guess what's also coming in? Long-term rates. Right, right. So... Uh, yeah, going to be interesting to see where um, yields go in 2024, where interest rates go in 2024. Um, you know, it seemed not that long ago that people weren't uh, too high on the idea of the Fed cutting rates multiple times in 2024. But I think over the past 
really month, that group of people have gotten louder and louder, expecting the Fed to cut several times in 2024. And just the contrarian in me says, okay, well, now if there's a lot of people expecting that in 2024, maybe uh, maybe that won't happen. So yeah, um, good point. Just going to have to be uh, a wait and see on that. Uh, but moving into tweets, articles, and research from the week, first thing I had, Matt, was a tweet from Seth Golden, and Jenna will throw this up for the YouTube vi- uh, viewers and in our show notes. Uh, this was back on November 28th, and Seth said, "The 2020, or excuse me, 2024 is a presidential election year, year four. Since 1928, the S&P 500 has only delivered negative return in three election years." S&P 500 has been positive 83% of election years for an average gain of 11%. And he tweets out this chart from Bank of America that shows election year uh, returns for the S&P 500 going back to 1928. And I think if you were an outsider looking in and you didn't have this data, Matt, one would think that election years are pretty weak just because of the uncertainty surrounding the transition of power and the different political parties, so on and so forth. Um, But as the data shows, and as we've talked about before, um, election years actually tend to be a little stronger than average in terms of returns. I love that you're highlighting this because there's a lot of people probably listening and watching this podcast right now thinking that's the perception is that reality, right? And the other important thing, not to cut you off, Matt, is two of of these three years where election years have been negative, one Mm -hmm. was 2000 and one was 2008. So you had the tech blow up and the great Mm -hmm. financial crisis. So, um, you know, just really interesting to point that out. No, I think it's great. I mean, what, let's talk about what really happens during that election year. All the politicians are working their tails off to get reelected. So, mm-hmm. you know, it tends to be Wall Street's not going to be blindsided by some sort of landmark legislation. Not to say it couldn't happen, um, but, you know, it's a little more predictability, I think, for the market on that aspect. Um, so, yeah, I love this information because the perception is, oh, my gosh, it's going to be election year. It's going to be a circus. It'll still be a circus in the fall. Yeah. But for the market, maybe not. Right. Right. And, you know, we'll talk about in the next couple of weeks uh, on here. Ryan Dietrich has some data uh, that, you know, he does on uh, presidential cycles and seasonality. And that uh, he says that election years are even stronger when you have a president uh, rerunning for reelection. Um, and I know, you know, a lot of, you know, Conservative people are going to be like, ah, well, you know, it's going to be different because, you know, Biden's not even alive, blah, 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 blah. But, um, you know, just looking at the data, if you have a a president that is that is running for reelection, the data shows pretty clearly um, that, you know, uh, stock market returns tend to tend to be stronger. So, um, hey, I'll, I'll take all the data points I can get. Right. I love it. All right. Yeah, so we'll talk about that here uh, coming up uh, with the next couple of weeks to end the year. Uh, Second thing I had was a tweet from Sam Rowe on November 27th. Again, Jenna will throw this up for everybody to view this chart. Uh, Sam says, 12 months ago, strategists on net forecast 
an outright fall for stocks in 2023. That's the first time this century that they had predicted a loss for 2023. Uh, And this data came from uh, Bloomberg, but what it shows is uh, strategists uh, predicting the S&P 500's uh, return for 2023. And the uh, net consensus estimate was a loss. Um, And barring any major craziness that happens over the next three, three and a half weeks, you know, strategists are going to be dead wrong. And again, I don't want to, you know, beat the the horse to death on this, but this is why I I can't stand predictions and, and can't stand that this is something that's thrown out in the media every single year at the end of the year, predicting about what's going to happen uh, for the next year, because th- th- this isn't even close, right? Yeah, Um, no, and I have a piece on this coming up in a little bit that kind of talks about these market narratives that happen. And it's like when there are people putting the narratives out there, it is almost like, this is in stone. This is going to happen. And it may or may not. Mm -hmm. You know, I just think that, uh, unfortunately, people make long-term strategic investment decisions on some of these headlines, and that's dangerous. Yeah, very, very. So... Uh, last thing I had was a, uh, another tweet, uh, from Kelly Cox on November 27th. And Kelly said when stocks rally like they have over the past month, up 8.9% since October 25th, momentum usually leads to more momentum. Want to fight a market firing on all cylinders? Good luck. And Jenna will throw this graphic up again for, uh, viewers and listeners, but, Uh, It shows the S&P 500's average forward return when the S&P is up uh, 8.9% or more in a month. And the forward uh, six-month return is up 8.1%, and the forward average 12-month return is up uh, 14.3% compared to all other periods, which is 8.7%. So um, strength... You know, this whole narrative of, of strength begets strength, it's counterintuitive because some people are like, oh, my God, that's, you know, it was like a year's worth of gains in the month of November. It can't possibly continue for the next three, six, 12 months. And actually, it's it's really the opposite. It's yep. when we have strong, uh, short periods like this, tends to mean, number one, that we're in a bull market and number two, forward returns uh, aren't going to be as bad as people think. Well said. Well said. So I will turn it over to you. Well, my first piece is going to be in line, I think, with your second piece. And I'm going to title this, uh, in my own words, market narratives and how quickly they can change in the market. And this was a post that I saw by a CFA, last name is Chopra. And um, his Twitter handle, I should say X handle, is at Fusion PT Capital. And uh, Jenna will put this tweet up uh, for our YouTube viewers. This will be in our show notes. What it shows, Mark, is that um, not even, let's see, let me get this exactly right. It was September, the market narrative, and here's here's the highlight, the Wall Street Journal, higher interest rates, not just for longer, but maybe forever. Wall Street Journal title, September. Now, let's go to 
Where are we at December 6th? Headline, the Federal Reserve will cut interest rates six times in 2024 as the economy shows clear signs of cooling down, says ING. So why am I highlighting this? People see these headlines. And this uh, second one was from uh, Business Insider. The other one was from the Wall Street Journal. Um, people see these things. And Mark, they, they could potentially make investment decisions on these headlines. I'm bringing this up because I want people to focus on their long-term plan. The market rallied significantly in November. Market's taken a little bit of breather in December, and you're already starting to see the headlines. Did the market uh, overdo November? Is the Fed really going to cut next year? You know, you kind of see that narrative coming back into the market. My two cents is ignore those types of headlines. Your comments. Yeah, I just, um, I just, don't, I, again, I don't understand why these narratives are are out in the in the market every single year it just doesn't do any good in my opinion it's just a waste of time like go 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 find a hobby go play golf go get you know go do whatever you like to do it's just it's a it's a waste of time to me because it is and i think it's a fascination with justification the market's moving this way because you know it's like every time you turn on uh, a financial news network there always has to be a reason for the move and sometimes it's just profit taking. Sometimes it's greed. Stocks are, are are cheap in someone's opinion. They buy. Sometimes it is that simple. Yeah. And, you know, it, we talk about it all the time. It's like the why. No one truly knows, you know, the why as to, you know, what's going on at any point in time. And if someone says that they can pinpoint exactly, then then they're feeding you bullshit. And Jenna will probably have to bleep that out, which is fine. But that's what it is. Right. Um, like. Again, in December, six cuts in 2024. Okay, like, great. What, you know, what am I supposed to do with that information? Because we've seen people be dead wrong with this in the past before. There you go. Um, so it's, again, another reason why, you know, we, we tell people to turn the TV off, but it's like, man, we have to start muting the Wall Street Journal app and the Business Insider app. You're spot on. So, all right, my next piece, you're going to like this. Low market volatility has returned. We'll see how long it stays. But what does this historically mean for the market? So I saw a, a post by a gentleman by the name of Mark Unhingewitter, and this was, I believe, November 28th. Jenna will put this chart up for our YouTube viewers. Definitely a chart I would check out in our show notes. What it does is it shows the S&P 500 mark going back to 1985. Then what this individual has done is he's put in red dots the stretches where the volatility index or the VIX um, is on kind of the lower end. And so to be specific, it's under the number of 14. So yeah, to kind those, of you know, go ahead. M- might not know what what the VIX is. It's just a measure of volatility uh, in the S and P 500. So, um, to keep it very simplistic, you know, if the VIX is spiking or rising, 
Uh, typically, that means over the next few weeks, we're in for higher periods of volatility. And a lot of times that means to the downside. Yes. Um, so when the VIX is high, if you go back and you know you can just Google this, Google a chart of the S&P 500 and the VIX, you can see back in 2020, uh, we had a huge spike in the VIX back in, I think it was December of 2018, there was a huge spike. And then obviously yep. in, in 2022, when we had that kind of year-long bear market, the, the VIX or volatility was well, was elevated during times of uncertainty. So that's what Matt is alluding to in this chart. And what you really see on this chart is that a low or lower volatility environment is something we should welcome as stock investors. Because what you're going to notice is that in times of lower volatility tend to be more of the advancements in the market historically. Now, my compliance disclaimer is this doesn't mean we're going to be in an extended period of low market volatility. Rather, what I want our listeners and viewers to extrapolate is that being in a low uh, market volatility environment, Mark, that's something that we should be welcoming and cheering right now. Mm-hmm. And that historically, those tend to be really good periods for the market. Yeah, so, and I think the best example of that going back uh recently, Matt, was 2017. Like 2017, if you were uh, a stock market investor, that was a, a low very volatility, year. very Just low volatility. Two steps forward, one step back, stair stepping higher, VIX remained low. Um, yep. Yeah, that was, I mean, you can just go back and look at it on a chart from 2017 to, you know, to 2018. There was very minimal noise in the market, which uh, was was great for investors. Some people will call it a boring market. I will take it all day long. For sure. For all sure. Right, my last piece, this might be my hot take for the week. Okay. My hot take is about equity ownership being below average. This is a post from Mike Zaccardi. He's a CFA and CMT. He did this on December 2nd, Mark. And he's referencing a uh, piece of research uh, from B of A Global. The underlying source is Bloomberg EPFR Global. Um, What it shows, and Jenna will put this up for our YouTube viewers now, definitely in our show notes, inflows into different asset class of investments. This specifically is highlighting four different asset classes, money market funds, government bond, high grade uh, bonds, and equities. And this data goes back to 2017. What you're going to see, and this is exactly what Mike said in his tweet, here's how enthusiastic investors are. Multi-year high risk-free rates have pushed more investors to own less risky assets. So what you kind of see on this chart is that, especially in the money market, with those yields coming up significantly, a lot of money is pushed into uh, that type of asset class. But what do you notice in the purple there on the equities, Mark? Yeah, money has been flowing out out of equities. I've seen other data points that would point to this as well. Now, why is this? Why am I calling this a hot take right now in the market? I don't believe many people on Wall Street are talking about this. And what I mean more specifically is stock ownership for the average investor compared to history. I'm getting a sense from the data I'm seeing that is below average. We could uh, have a debate, a roundtable as to how into what degree it's below average. But one thing with a lot of the data I'm seeing, 
stock ownership is low compared to history. Now, why is this noteworthy? I look at the market and the underlying fundamentals. When I look at uh, earnings as an example, these things aren't bad. And the way that you're seeing the money flow, that's telling me that we could be in for um, a couple of good years in the market as stock ownership normalizes. Doesn't mean every month and every quarter is gonna be up. You still have to invest properly for your goals and objectives and risk tolerances. But rather, if I saw this chart and I saw people pumping tons of money into stocks, the contrarian side of me would start to get more concerned. When I just see the outflows, despite performance starting to improve, that's telling me as a money manager, this might have some more legs than people are giving it credit for. Your comments. Yeah, I would just say I think, you know, obviously a lot of this uh, is driven by the higher rates that investors can get, you know, on money market funds, on short term uh, treasury bonds. Um, it's the, the highest rates that people have been able to get for a long time. And, you know, with the amount of, of baby boomers I think we have in this country, they're, you know, jumping on, on this opportunity to uh, get yield because they've been starved for yield for so long. Um, so not 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 surprising to me at all this that this is what we're seeing right now. Last comment. What happens? when those certificates of deposits, those treasury notes, when those things come due in six months, a year, two years, and let's say the trajectory of interest rates are lower, when XYZ security comes due and they were getting, and I'm gonna use a fictitious number, 5%, and let's say the reinvestment rate is three and a half or four, the ultimate question down the road, Mark, is, does that asset, does those funds get reinvested in the same? Or do people start looking around like they did over the past decade and say, I guess I got to start finding something that's going to give me a return on my money. That's mm -hmm. going to be an interesting question. Yeah, yeah. And I guess we will uh, we'll hopefully find some of that information out sometime next year. Yeah, it should be interesting. Uh, moving on to the financial planning topic of the week, this was a blog post from Ben Carlson titled How the Market Shapes Your Portfolio. This was back on uh, November 26th, and um, he talks in this article, Matt, about it really matters for people's risk appetites or their tolerance for market volatility depending on when they started investing. And I can sympathize or empathize with this because we see this all the time in our industry when mm. we're working with clients. So, yes, 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 um, yes. He says, in a rational world, every investor would set their allocation based on their willingness, ability, and need to take risks. Mm. One would balance a range of expectations for the various asset classes and match those probabilities with their goals and objectives. Sure, plenty of investors consider their risk profile and time horizon when building a portfolio, but we live in an irrational world, one in which experiences, emotions, circumstances, luck, and timing shape both feelings and portfolios. Research from Vanguard shows that your early experience in the markets can shape your asset allocation and investment posture for years to come. 
ordering the portfolios of Vanguard's retail investors by the year their accounts were opened. Huh. The results show that investors who opened accounts during a boom retained significantly higher equity allocations even decades later. The median investor who started in 1999 as the dot-com bubble swelled still held 86% of their portfolio in stocks in 2022. For those who began in 2004, when memories of the bubble bursting were still fresh, the equivalent figure was just 72%. Investors who opened accounts during boom times retained a higher allocation to stocks for years to come. Maybe it's inertia, but it's obvious stock market returns in your formative years as an investor can have an impact on how you invest. The hard part about all of this is you don't get to choose your returns when you come into the market as an investor. Sometimes you get good returns when you're young, sometimes when you're old. Some retirees get fabulous bull market returns right when they leave the working world, while some retire into the teeth of a bear market. Timing and luck, both good and bad, play a huge role in your experience as an investor. Starting investing in 1980, or start investing in 1980 and it looks easy. Start in the 1930s and you probably want nothing to do with stocks. So it really does matter uh, what you think about the stock market when you start investing. Um, because that kind of just molds your brain as to, oh my gosh, this is what investing is. And that could be good or it could be bad. Like Ben said, you know, if you were in, you know, the 1998, 1999 go-go years, or even, you know, right after COVID, it was like, man, I, I can't lose money if I tried. Right. But if you started investing in 2007 and 2008, you're like, why is everyone talk about investing in the stock market this sucks right and that forms you know whether consciously or subconsciously in my opinion forms your opinion about what the stock market is and how it works um so i, I just wanted to throw that out there because i know that you know i've talked at least to a lot of people that are like i just i don't understand why i need to be investing because you know, I've lost X amount of dollars because they started during a bear market or a correction or a pullback sure. or some sort of geopolitical event. Um, but as we've talked about several, several times before on this show, the longer your time horizon expands, the higher the probability of you making money in the market, regardless of when you start. So over rolling 10, 20, 30 year periods. Um, so I think this is really important, especially for newer investors, um, to know that, hey, a lot of when you start has to do with luck, you know, um, yep. you know, you can't control what year you were born. You can't control what year you're, well, I guess you, you could control what year you're graduating high school and college, but, um, to the most part, you know, it, it's just, it is what it is based on when you start making money and when you start investing. So, um, you know, you're going to have to roll with punches, but that's all a part of this process. Everyone in the investing world rolls with punches at some point in their life. It just depends on, you know, when that is. Well said. My follow-up would be, we live in this world of instant gratification. And investing, for the most part, is a, is a long-term um, topic. And if it's starting too slow, or I'm not even talking about seeing some losses initially, People, you know, think, okay, why am I going to waste my time with this? 
And I just think people need to go into it with uh, proper and realistic expectations. But this whole, hey, I saw this online, this person bought this specific investment, made a ton of money, I can do that as well. And if it doesn't happen in that same time period, then this is a waste of my time. But my main topic is this whole instant gratification is something that I think is a negative uh, when people associate that with investing. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, Before we uh, give listeners some final thoughts, Matt, just want to remind people if uh, you or someone you know wanted to create your own podcast, you can use the promo code Jessup Wealth to get your first month of Blueberry podcast hosting for free. To choose the ideal plan for you, use the hosting estimator on their website. Again, you can receive your first month free with promo code Jessup Wealth, all lowercase with no spaces. Uh, any final words before we leave it off, Matt? No, no, we're almost to the end of the year. Almost got 2023 um, into the books. You know, we're past earnings season. Uh, I don't have anything uh, specific at this time. Yeah, I I do not. Uh, do not have anything either so uh, we hope everyone has a wonderful rest of the week and a great weekend and we'll be back with you next week for episode 230 take care everyone thank you for listening to the independent advisors podcast if you're interested in hearing more hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released feel free to share with friends family and follow us on twitter at jessup wealth facebook and linkedin mark and matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites also check out the podcast tab on their website that's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com there you'll find links to every episode of the independent advisors have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show, message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved.